Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. These are the prison letters of Paul. These four letters that he wrote, three to churches and one to a friend that he wrote at the end of his life when he was imprisoned in Rome and uh, had these last few years to say to the young churches and the young believers what it is that he wants them to know. And as we've looked at in Ephesians 1, we're starting with the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. And in Ephesians 1, we see how Paul is just so desperate for the church to understand who they are that when he gets like 14 verses in, he just starts praying for them. I don't know if you've ever done that with your own kids when you're, when you're trying to raise them and teach them and you're in a moment where you're, where you're sharing some important value or principle and you just feel like they're not getting it. And so all of a sudden, you just start praying for them. You know, that's, like, that's when you know your parents are serious. You know, sometimes in the middle of my, my parenting, I will pray. I will stop my sentence halfway and go, Jesus, help me right now. Help me. I'm sure, I'm sure some of you have done that before. But, you know, I used to actually, I had a mom that really believed in anointing things, just anointing everything, right? So, you know, when I got my first car, I'm wondering why there's a cross on the window, you know, on all the windows, on my bedroom door, just like anointing everything. There was one time when I woke up and I was like, what is on my head? And clearly my mom felt that I was, I don't know why she felt I needed it this badly, but I was anointed in my bed while sleeping. And, um, and so this is kind of what Paul, there's this real fatherly uh, emphasis here where he's saying to the young churches, I'm not going to be around much longer. From that moment when Paul wrote these letters, he maybe had another five years to live. And, and, uh, and after that, the church had to, to forge forward in the direction of the, of, of the gospel and of Jesus and of the disciples. And, and they had to take the baton and run with it. Every generation has to do it. We have to do it. And so as Paul is preparing them, he's saying some things to them that they would be able to grasp and know so that they can run with it, so that there would be no misgivings about what the message of Christianity and the message of the gospel really is. And this is what Paul is expressing to them. And 14 verses in, he's just like, hang on a minute, let me pray for you. And as I covered the last time I spoke, the two things he prays for is that number one, that they would know the hope to which they're called, that they would live their lives in this living hope into which they were born, that they would not find hope or look for hope in anything but the person of Jesus. And so as God, let them know the hope that they have in Christ and also let them know the great power that is at work within them, toward them, that the same power of this of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives life to them also. And he begins to pray that they would begin to understand the hope and the power in which they lead their lives. Church, we are not called to live lives that are average, lives that are mundane. We've been called to a great adventure, a great hope, a great amount of power to effect change in our world. And we've got to change the way we see ourselves. And that's what's so amazing about these first few books and these first few chapters is that Paul is really reaffirming the identity of the, of the believer. The question this morning is, do you know who you are? 
And do you know what, as we come into chapter two, and I know that Will covered these first 10 verses last week, but I wanted to share something from them as well today. And, 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 and do you know how you got to be who you are today? Because you see, the problem is if you don't know how you got to be who you are, you won't know how to stay who you are. If you don't know what led you to the place of hope, what led you to the place of power, what led you to the place of influence, what brought about the call of God in your life, what produces the miracles of the Holy Spirit to be at work within you, you won't know how to walk confidently in them. Because you'll always be worried you're going to lose something, even though you don't know what it is that you're going to lose. You haven't put your finger on what the thing is that gave you the ability in the first place. And so you become insecure in your walk. And we will we say, yeah, well, that's not me. I know who I am in Christ. I know what the Bible says. I know what the gospel is. But you know how many of us get a little bit insecure when we start praying for things? When we start trusting God for things, especially big things, all of a sudden we begin to wonder, maybe if I had lived a better life up until now, or maybe if I had a better week, maybe if I read my Bible more, maybe if I went to church more often, which by the way, you should, maybe if I, maybe if I did this, maybe if I did that, then God's Holy Spirit would be able to move. And for many years in my life, I was in that space where I felt that a move of the Spirit of God through my life would be the, the verification that I need that God has truly redeemed me. So I was looking to miracles and an external outworking of some form of supernatural ability as the thing that was going to confirm my faith. And when I didn't see it, and I'm talking about 19, 20, 21 years old, when I didn't see it immediately, I began to have doubts. And I began to wonder, what is it that I need that's going to push me into that place? where God will actually be able to use me to pray for people, for example, and see them healed or see them touched. And I went into the law. I went into just being a Puritan and just wanting to follow every single uh, uh, command in the Bible. When you try that, that's how you, when you begin to realize how impossible it actually is. But that's what I believed I needed to do in order for God to work through me. And when I had utterly failed... I felt that I should quit the ministry. I felt that I should walk away because clearly I'm not the kind of person through whom which God can do his work. And so I was in that space until I began to realize some of the things that we're going to cover in Ephesians 2 today. Until I began to realize what Jesus did for me on the cross when he died for me, what that meant. And even then, if you look at the book of Galatians, we Paul writes, he says, how did you first receive the Holy Spirit? And how did he work miracles amongst you? So he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the working of miracles. How did it happen? Paul asks the question. He asks this. He says, was it by your works or was it by his grace? And so I realized that when we just put ourselves in a position to receive from Jesus, even when we failed, even when we're imperfect, God's grace will allow the Holy Spirit to work. It's by His goodness. And all of a sudden, we begin to walk in confidence because we begin to understand that the identity that we have in Christ is not born out of any self-righteousness or merit of our own, but purely out of the work of Jesus on the cross. 
And that's what Ephesians 2 is trying to tell us. Let me tell you how you got to be who you are today so that you'll know how you're going to be who you are today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. In Ephesians 2, I want to just start by reading those first 10 verses. But in Ephesians 2 verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That was your state. There was no half goodness. There was no half life. There was no, you were just dead. Spiritually, in your relationship with God, dead. In your trespasses and in the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And Paul feels like he needs to say this. He needs to clarify, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the good works are there. The walking is there. The journey is there. But it's all in the context of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so I want to share a message with you this morning called Take the Next Exit. Take the next exit. If you're taking notes, which again, I strongly recommend, you can write down the title right now, Take the Next Exit. Have any of you ever gotten properly lost or taken the wrong road? Anybody here ever just absolutely lost, driving around in circles or walking around forever, just getting tired, not knowing where you are? My wife and I on our days off, we love to just get out of the city a little bit and go and do some birding or just go and enjoy nature, go on a bit of an adventure. And so we are often driving to places that we've never been to before and often, you know, trying to follow every route and map that we can find. And what you find about these isolated places is that one of the issues with them is that there's no cell signal there. And so usually we're relying on like an outdated version of Google Maps or whatever we had open on our phones the last time we had signal to try and find our way around. And many times, this has now actually happened too often, we have ended up taking a wrong route or a wrong road and ending up hours down the road in the wrong direction. This in fact happened last week when we went on a drive and, and missed a turn and ended up in a dead end in the middle of a, just, I don't even know, it's a valley. It's, it's the end of a valley. There was a hut. That's all there was. And I was even struggling to turn around with my trailer. And so this has often happened. One time we left early in the morning, and we were just following the GPS. And for some reason, it said that we needed to take another highway. And so we thought, okay, well, maybe this way is quicker. Maybe there's an accident. And so we jumped on that highway, and we were happily, confidently, driving in the wrong direction. 
Is that so much what like our world is like? So often we're confident about this very wrong direction that we're driving in, this very wrong road that we have taken. This is the course of the world. This is the the default state of humanity. This is what, what, what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2. It's not like uh, the, the world has any kind of bearing. They are lost. And they're trying very hard to pretend they're not, like husbands who try to convince their wives they know where they're going and won't stop for directions because we know where we're going. Obviously, this links up again until you reach a dead end in a flay somewhere in the, you know, yeah, exactly. So, so this happens. This happens. And we're confident about being in, in the wrong or being lost. We won't turn around. When left to ourselves, humanity will always choose the wrong direction. We'll always choose the incorrect path. We convince ourselves and everyone else that this is the right one. Why do you think the world and social media and media in general and all the voices that we hear and, and even the, the chat in the office or, or, or the, 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 if you get together at a briar with a group of friends that don't know Jesus, why do you think they are so forceful, even if it's subtle, subtly forceful about whatever their influence is, whatever path they've chosen? Because as they're trying to convince you that they're on the right path, they're actually trying to convince themselves. Where all they're spewing out is actually secondhand agenda that's been fed to them through the media. It's not free thinking. It's not freedom of thought at all. It's not freedom to be yourself. There is massive pressure for us to conform, to be as lost as everybody else. And what Paul is saying in these first three verses is that before we knew Jesus, no matter how confident you were, no matter what your ability was or your state of learning or how much money you had in the bank or, or, or what you have been able to achieve in your life, the ultimate truth is that outside of Jesus, we're all completely lost in every area. And every area of your life will feel it, will feel that lostness. We're all heading in the wrong direction, so lost that we don't even know that we're lost. This reminded me of a time that I went to go and buy, and, I, and I've shared before about my, my knack for uh, buying secondhand items. And there was a time when uh, I went to go buy a trailer secondhand, but got there kind of like late in the afternoon, early evening. And what I realized when I got the trailer is that the wiring wasn't working properly, so I didn't have any lights on the trailer. And specifically, the indicators on either side weren't working. And so with those indicators not working, I didn't want to turn. I know that sounds silly. I should have just turned. But I didn't want to turn just in case I was, uh, you know, I was throwing somebody off or causing an accident or whatever. So I was like, I'm going to drive as straight as I can from here home without the necessity of turning. And so I picked the road again that I had never really picked before. And in driving on that road, uh, ended up again following, before Google Maps was out, a GPS and turning into this, I ended up somewhere at the back. You know when you take the M2 behind the city? And then you, you think you're on a highway, and the next thing you're next to a macro. Does anybody know where that is? Does anybody know where that is? I still don't know where that is. 
But that's what happened. Now I'm next to a macro. Okay, I don't know. So I just keep taking this road because it's straight. I don't want to turn. And um, I end up eventually going, wait, this road I think is going to take me through. And I turn and I pull in and I'm now going. And all of a sudden, this road has been barricaded. But not like by the JMPD, by some people that don't want you to drive there or want to make it's just rocks in the road. And I've got a trailer. So now I'm nervous. And so I pull into the first little driveway that I see, and I think to myself, I gotta get out of here. And I throw my car into reverse, and you can guess what happened next. I forgot about the trailer, and so I crashed into myself uh, with the trailer. And so this is the kind of stuff that happens when we follow the course of the world. We end up in broken places, we end up in dead ends, we end up crashing into our own selves, we're constantly running at cross purposes with ourselves, we get stuck. And Paul says in those first few verses, he says, you once walked following the course of the world. And the course of the world is not just a random set of influences. It's actually strategically designed to get you lost. Who designed it? The prince of the power of the air. You see, the Bible says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies. In other words, Satan and his demons have got a plan designed to get you lost, distracted, discouraged, in a place of brokenness and destruction where you feel like you have no hope. And without the ability of God in our lives to be able to resist that, we were absolutely defenseless against that leading. We just went where it led. We were like, like a dead leaf that's in a stream. It has no ability to resist. It just flows with the current. My wife, is, my wife follows the rules to a T. Every rule. She wants to follow them all. And so I told her that that's fine because I'm enough rebel for the two of us. And so I just, I just don't follow the rules, especially when you tell me to follow the rules, which is basically what the Lord does. It stirs up rebellion. So, you know, but there's a part of this rebellion that's godly. When we say we are not just sheep that are just led to the slaughter as the world perceives us, but we are those who will stand and fight based on the higher authority of Christ in our lives. And so before you were just led along by the course of the world. And so many people think that being able to follow that course is actually freedom. That's the joke here. That's the irony. That those that advocate to be able to do whatever they want, whatever they feel like, whatever sin, whatever, what, you know, there's so many different ways our world justifies sin. Whatever you feel like being or doing or saying, just do it because you're free. But you know, freedom isn't always the ability to do what you want. Freedom is actually the ability to not do what you want. How many of you can resist your own wants, your own temptations, your own selfish desires in order to choose something that's greater, in order to walk in something that's higher? The ability to say no and walk away, even when you absolutely feel like doing it, is freedom. Otherwise, you're a slave to sin. You're a slave 
to sin. And the Bible says that that's our state. Without Jesus, we are in slavery to sin. We carry out whatever sin tells us to do. Sin is our taskmaster, and we cannot resist. So we just do whatever we're told. And this is not freedom. Freedom is the ability to walk away from that stuff. And that's where we all were. We were children of wrath, completely lost, not really alive. It reminds me of when Jesus prayed for the demoniac at Gadara and, and drove a legion of demons out of this man and sent them into a herd of pigs. And those pigs filled with those demonic spirits. And by the way, we're going to do a series this year called The Unseen Realm, where we'll talk a little bit more about how the unseen realm operates and some of these things that might sound a little bit foreign this morning. But, but these pigs are filled with these evil spirits. And what, what do they do? They just run off of a cliff to their deaths. Do you know, I actually believe that that was a perfect picture of what the enemy does with our world. We're just empty vessels sometimes that are filled with these evil desires that sends us straight off of the cliff without resistance. But God, who was rich in mercy, came to save us from the enemy's plans, from the enemy's strategies. Don't be an ally of the enemy. Don't allow him to connect with a sin nature that Jesus died to remove from you so that, so that he can entice you back into a life that Jesus saved you from. We want real freedom for your life. Paul says, don't be like this, this world. Don't follow this current they are like the sons of disobedience. The same spirit that is the power of the air, the God of this age, is at work right now in the sons of disobedience. You know, sometimes we are amazed at how evil people can be. But you know, really, we, I had a situation this, this week where uh, there was a boy that was bullying um, my, my boys and pulled one of him you know, by the shirt and threw him against a tree and it was a whole thing. And I happened to stop at the school at that time. So I walked up to him and I, I spoke to him and I said to him, you don't have a right to touch him. Just kind of lay down the smack down a little bit there. I don't get to do it often, but every now and again. But, you know, looking at that boy, we were driving home, talking to my kids. I'm saying, you know what that boy probably needs? He probably needs some real friends. He's probably fighting some battles. You see, we love people. We're not against people, but we also understand that as people that don't know Jesus especially, there are powerful spirits that are and sins that are leading them down this path. This is what Jesus came to save us from. And so what is the answer to, to this? I, see, I said here that if you're a son of a disobedience, then disobedience is not just a problem to manage. It is a state of being. It is a state of your birth. You're born disobedient. So how are we saved from that? When we were driving in the wrong direction on that highway early that morning, all of a sudden I saw a sign that said Brits. And I realized I'm going in the wrong direction. Sometimes it, it takes a moment where you come to this place where you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not the right road. 
That is the moment that everything begins to change. It takes the recognition of a soul to understand that this life that I've been leading is going in the wrong direction. And as long as you've convinced yourself you're in the right road, you won't receive the grace you need to change. But when we come to that place when we can admit, hey, I'm lost, I need to turn around. And so I made a U-turn. And, next, and, and the next thing I saw, or before I made the U-turn, as I was driving along, I was on the highway. I needed an off-ramp. I needed an off-ramp. I needed a way out. I needed a way of escape. I needed to get off of this road that, if I carry on with it, is going to take me all the way to the incorrect destination. And in that moment, the GPS kind of recalculated itself. And it realized it had misled, betrayed, and deceived us. And it said, take the next off-ramp, make a U-turn. Take the next off-ramp, take the next exit. And so in the dark, I saw a sign with the name of the off-ramp, and I took that next exit. And this is what God did for us. We have no way of getting ourselves off that wrong road. We cannot turn ourselves around. But what God did through Jesus is he gave us the exit. He gave us the off-ramp, the way out, the ability to turn around, to get onto the right road. And he did this for us because he loves us. God doesn't want your life to end in destruction. Jesus said the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the end result. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, that every part of your future is filled with the life and the grace and the joy of God. And so God has already, through Jesus, made an off-ramp for us through His sheer magnificent kindness. He saved us from destruction by making us alive with Christ. Now, a few very quick points on this for you to know. That when, the first one is that when Jesus died on the cross, guess what happened when He died on the cross? And you need to understand this, you personally, died on the cross as well, right? Jesus didn't just die for you, he died as you. It's the same as if you had actually paid the price for your own sins on that cross. That's how fully uh, formed that justification is, how far reaching it is. When Christ died on the cross, you died on the cross. Romans 6 verse 6 tells us this, It says, we know that our old self, old self, the one that followed the way of the world, the one that was destined for destruction, the one that was ruled by the power of the prince of this air, of the air, we know that our old self was crucified with him, crucified with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Why? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. How beautiful. We were trapped, captives to sin, enslaved. But then God took this body of sin and put it on the cross. And now we are no longer the old self, but a new creation who is free. No longer under the dominion of sin because we are under the grace of God. It says that when he rose from the dead, we were raised also. So not only were we crucified with Christ, But number two, we were raised with Christ. You died with him, you're raised with him. 
Colossians 3 verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, this is how that identity begins to shape. You're no longer the old person. You're the new person. And I think so often we spend most of our time trying to reform our sinful selves. Do you know that not even Jesus tried to reform the sinful self? He did one thing with the sinful self. He put it on a cross. There's no redemption for your flesh. There's no redemption for your sin nature. It can't be made better. It can't be improved. It can't be helped. It can only be put to death. And then as it's put to death with Christ through faith, the next thing that happens is that you are raised to life. Now, you're no longer the old person. Some of you, this is the key to your breakthrough right here. The key to you no longer struggling with that addiction. The key to you no longer walking in those sins that you have been walking in for decades now. Listen to me. You are no longer the person who does that. You are raised together with him. No longer a slave of sin. You can say no. You can walk away. And if you think God's kindness ends there, think again. Because God's goodness is so inexhaustible that for all of eternity, we're going to be amazed as the, at the immeasurable riches of His grace. That's why it says, God raised us with Christ so that in the future, He can show us all the immeasurable riches of His grace. It tells us that in Ephesians 2.7 that I read a while ago. It says, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches of His grace. There's so much more that we receive in being raised with Christ than anything we've left behind in the old life. This is the goodness of God. This is the grace of Jesus. So now don't get this wrong this morning, church. There's nothing that you did or can do to earn this kind of grace, to earn this kind of love. It is unmerited, undeserved, so much so that Paul feels that he needs to clarify. He says, for grace, for by grace, we have been saved. And please understand this. It's not of your own doing. It's not your own works. You won't stand before God one day and say, didn't I do a good job? Didn't I? You know, there's no boasting. It's just by his grace that we're able. And so he gets all of the glory when we lead the lives that God has called us to lead. Even faith is not something that we do to be accepted by God. Through His grace and our faith, it just multiplies His grace. This is what Jesus has done for us. It's like the time I went to Design Quarter. And sometimes I wonder about, you know, our Santon areas because you will go to like the north of Pretoria to the most random little shopping center and they'll have all the technological advancements available for you to pay for parking. Like you could think about paying and it'll deduct your bank account for you, right? But then you go to our very high-end malls around Santon. I could name a few and they still want you to pay cash. 
And when you don't have cash, they want you to go into like the fourth basement to the right next to the dumpster to the ticket office and pay with a card, hopefully if you can. But at one time I went, and fortunately a lot of this has changed in recent months, but the one time I went to Design Quarter and I, I went in there and I was just quickly doing something, but I went over that 15 minute limit and I needed to pay for parking and I didn't have any cash on me. And at that point, the F&B ATM wasn't working. And so I went down to the parking office and I said, I just need to get home. My family misses me. My wife wonders what's happened to me, you know. People are relying on me. I need to get out of here, please. And, she, and the lady said, well, our card facilities aren't working. The ATM isn't working. And I was like, am I gonna live here? Am I gonna, you know, can you give me a bed and some food? I mean, what am I gonna do? And you know what she ended up doing? She ended up taking money out of her own pocket and paying for my parking. Just the lady working in the parking, parking office. And I went back the next day and you know, gave her the money back again, even though she didn't want me to. But the point is, is that that's what Jesus did for us. When we were completely broke, when we could not pay for our sins, when we could not find our way home, when we could not get out of the captivity that we were in, He paid the price. He paid the price. And He gave us an off-ramp out of slavery to sin so that we can live fully in the hope and the power that we were given. So now that you know that the righteousness that you have, this hope, this power, this calling is not based on anything that you've done, but based on the grace of Jesus, please don't try to keep God's power and hope in your life through your works, but continue to trust in Jesus continue to look to him. He is both the author and the perfecter of your faith. He's the one that we look to and he's the one who will lead us home. God invites us to rely on his power. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, for you that are believers that are saying, but I still struggle with sin sometimes. Sometimes there's a journey. Sometimes there's a process. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But the temptation He will also, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. He has given you the ability in Christ to choose the next exit as opposed to succumbing to the destruction, the destructive works of sin. For by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. You're His workmanship, His handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, good things God's gonna do through your life, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. How amazing. We have good works to walk in, church. A good journey ahead of us. Great things we're gonna be able to do. We're created in Christ Jesus for those things. So I wanna invite you this morning 
to no longer see yourself as the old self, but to understand your new identity in Christ so that you can walk in those good.